Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, continuing on into 2014 in spite of unprecedented popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll and be I'm your Tony ho- Kerr. And with me in the studio tonight is Tony Kerr. How's it going this week, Tony? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Adam. Thanks for asking. Always very interested in how I am. <laughs> Happy New Year. Same to you. At what point should you stop saying Happy New Year? Okay, I mean, really it's now question. January the 7th. It's a great People question. are still saying it to me. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> it's like when it gets to like the 25th of January, the first week of February, are people still going to be saying Happy New Year? I think it's when people stop saying it back to you. That's, that's like an awkward social situation, isn't it? If you go, oh, Happy New Year, and they go, like, oh, yeah, Happy New Year to you, and then boom, you're in. Whereas if you go, oh, what do you mean you're in? Well, you're just you're into the social All right, situation, then, aren't you? Like trying to chat someone. Else, <laughs> boom, you're in. Boom, that's, boom. They've, you had me at Happy New Year. Uh, but if you're like, oh, Happy New Year, and then they go like, yeah. So what do you want? Like, you know, it's probably too late. How was your New Year, Tone? Your New Year's Eve? Did you have a good one? Solid. Yeah, not it lacked the kind of spectacle of perhaps Sydney Harbour or other amazing firework you kind of like huge say that. party. I mean, I was, I was there with you and the, the actual moment where 20, <laughs> 2013 became 2014, uh, I would describe as underwhelming. Well, where were you? I don't, know, I don't know where you were at that point. I was, I was with you. No, but not really with me. Well, I was within like about in a... 25 feet of you, I'd say. Basically, what happened was we, we were at the pub. We had like a, a room booked out mm. in, uh, in the pub that we frequent or you in particular frequent. and uh, uh, But when it got to about quarter to midnight, our friend Ollie said, hey, I'm going to go down and watch the fireworks at midnight. I'm going to go down to the harbour. Ring in the new year with their fireworks like they're doing in uh, London, like they did in Sydney and elsewhere around the world. We thought that sounds very exciting. So we went down, went out onto the pier uh, with a good view of the harbour to see the fireworks. The only problem was there were no fireworks. Essentially, we were just kind of standing in the dark and the cold and the wind it was very windy but we were, like we were literally there like 10 9 well we did it but i don't think it was any like bear any bed any relation to uh the actual time i think someone just did it cuz they were like oh we've got to do it <laughs> yeah. and then we kind of bellowed old lang syne i don't know the words to so i just kind of hummed it well this is the it's problem awful. now with uh, no one having watches and just having phones cuz you can't see the seconds so you're just kind of guessing <laughs> it's like well it's 2359 but I don't know how many seconds are left. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so we, we sort of waited for the fights to happen. They didn't happen. I, I was suspicious at about five to midnight when there was nobody else there. Yeah, there was a, that was a, a real... I, I mean, Ollie was so convinced that there were going to be fireworks. He was like, yeah, no, no, don't worry, mate. I've, I've been here before. I like, <laughs> was here last year. Great fireworks. It'll be a good show. That's a good idea for an app, actually. A, a New Year's app for your phone with a second count. Some kind of atomic clock tuning thing. 
don't know. There you go. <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud. What a great app that is, a clock. Uh, we could make millions. The New Year's app, is what I call it. <laughs> well, why does it just have to be New Year? Well, because we can think of other things to uh, bolt on, like, I don't know. You're a real entrepreneur. <laughs> you're a real... You're a real Sean Parker. Uh, I'm thinking about taking that on the, you know, on the Apprentice or <laughs> Dragon's Den or something. <laughs> you're a real Tom the Inventor from the Apprentice. Do you reckon I could get all the way to the the interview stage in the Apprentice with that? That's my business plan. <laughs> you're a real Ruth Badger. <laughs> you really are. Um, well, yeah. So I, I was down very much in the vicinity of you, but actually, yeah, I, it ended up there was a big group of us. We and bottled I think, it because we all went down on the pontoon. You did. I heard, I heard you shout in the darkness. Let's take this to the pontoon. <laughs> I was like, oh, there he goes. So yeah, you went down onto the pontoon. There was a group of about four of us that stayed up the top and just held each other, <laughs> just huddled for warmth. I mean, not the best way to bring in the new year. I said about planning, I'm going to start planning new year 2013, 14, 15, or whatever it is. 2015. What do you, I mean, what do you call it? New year's 2014? 2014 slash 15. Yeah. New, the next new year. Yeah. I'm going to start planning that now. Okay. Uh, but anyway, what's coming up on the show today then, Tone? Have you heard about these ashes? 5-0. 5-0. Ooh. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did. Heard a little bit about it. Well, we're probably going to have to talk about it today so we'll be getting stuck into that in just a moment uh, but also as we say the year is over another year over and a new one just begun uh, and we're gonna do a little bit of review of the year today we'll do some more next week uh, but but start our comprehensive drip feed roundup of the year i'm gonna draw today. the review of 2013 well into 2014 what else have you been up to recently then? I like to just come in and shoot the breeze with <laughs> uh, uh don't know. Uh don't know. <laughs> Can't think of anything I've done. Right. I love really it. struggling. I love the image of like cricket fans on buses and things listening to this, <laughs> like wanting to hear our thoughts on the ashes. Just like, so what else have you been up to then? Uh, not sure really. Uh no, this on Saturday, uh, obviously it's the Saturday night. Saturday night, mostly Sunday morning, was the conclusion of the Ashes series, as you're probably aware. Uh, yeah, and I went to uh, the kind of, it was the final night of a popular local pub, coastal pub, called the Rockmount, which is uh, kind of a, a big cricket pub. It's the, the spiritual home of Kobo cricket team, who, of course, we play for. Yeah, I mean, you were nowhere to be seen. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was the final night of, the, of the, uh, the tenure of the landlords there. So that was a big party, and then uh, went back, uh, kind of stayed up and watched the cricket afterwards. Kind of, it's difficult to combine partying with watching the Ashes. Uh, the two don't really tally. Well, particularly when you're an England fan and it's going so yeah. badly. I don't know what time. It was about 3.30, I think. Dave Nussbaumer, who is the landlord and also the father of Jamie Nussbaumer, the Guernsey cricket captain, who we've had on the show. Uh, I think he got back in because they lived next door, but, but yeah, had a house next door to the, pub, to the pub. And I think he got in about half three. And there were kind of a group of about 20 of us in the kitchen, and then there were some people in the lounge. Uh, and he came, like, walked into the kitchen, didn't really say anything to anyone, took out the biggest knife out of the knife block, just this huge cleaver, <laughs> got a fork as well, reached down to a, a fridge which was dedicated purely to a massive leg of gammon, like a whole mini fridge just filled with gammon, uh, <laughs> grabbed that and like walk, walked into the, uh, the room where the ashes was on, <laughs> plonked it down and just kind of bellowed, like, who wants gammon? And then just started carving off huge slabs of it uh, for everyone. Who wants some gammon? 
It was good. Really good gammon. <laughs> Fine gammon. Took the edge off the ashes. On Saturday morning, you uh, we'd sort of semi-arranged the two of us to go down the coast, have a look at the waves. People in the UK will certainly be aware that uh, we've been battered by storms here. Well, really, the whole of Europe has, hasn't it? And enormous waves. I mean, people are talking about it. Meteorologists are talking about it as being some of the biggest waves ever. So the biggest waves in this part of the world? Yeah, in this part of the world, ever. Yeah. Uh, sort of anywhere between 8 and 20 feet in some places. Maybe uh, bigger. In Guernsey, the sea defences have been absolutely battered. A lot of the coast roads have been closed. I think it's been a real nightmare for the police. And the, the Guernsey police literally issued a statement on Facebook which said, it's extremely dangerous. We're closing the coastal road. Please don't come down just to have a look. It's stupid. And I read that and then about... Two minutes later, I got a phone call from you saying, do you want to go down the coast and have a look? <laughs> You've got to I was look, like, yeah, though. sure, yeah, sounds great. Yeah. But actually, we didn't go in the Well, end. I, I fully intended to go. Uh, got up in the morning, tried to call you, and you, you switched your phone off. And you're just <laughs> yeah. screening. Uh, so pretty disappointing effort all round for me. I, I was flat out. Ashes. Whitewash. That's the headline, and that is the unhappy reality for England fans, and the happy reality for Australian fans after the Aussies completed a 5-0 mauling with yet another monster victory in Sydney. England won the toss for the first time in the series. They elected to put Australia in. They did bowl the home side out on that first day, uh, but they went along at a pretty healthy run rate and they managed to post 326. Steve Smith scored an unprecedented second 100 in the series. Brad Haddon with 75 helped them recover yet again from not that many for five. Ben Stokes took six wickets, uh, but England lost Michael Carberry before the end of day one, uh, and you felt that a collapse was very much on the cards on day two, and so it proved. They were 23 for five at one stage. Recovered a little bit, but it sort of depends on your definition of recover. They were all out for 155. Avoided the follow-on, but only just. Uh, Australia in their second innings went out and posted 276. Another 100 for Chris Rogers, his second of the series, uh, meant that they set England emotional target of 448 and there was never any danger that England would get there there was never any danger that they would get anywhere near there they were all out for less than 200 again they were all out inside 32 overs for 166 Ryan Harris took 5 for 25 Mitchell Johnson 3 for 40 and Nathan Lyon 2 wickets as well uh, which wrapped up the win by 281 runs another huge victory uh, which gave them that 5-0 whitewash. So, Tim Berners-Lee, Bagpuss, the Conservative MEP Daniel Hannan, looks like our boys took one hell of a beating. <sighs> so was this inevitable then, Tony, this Sydney result? After Melbourne, was there any part of you that thought that it would be anything other than 5-0? After Perth, after <sighs> Adelaide, after Brisbane, was there any parts of you that thought it would be anything other than 5 now? Well, it's certainly been on the cards. It had been on the cards from pretty early on, hadn't it? I mean, you wanted to believe. Uh, and again, you know, England did have them in, you know, have themselves in a decent position at the start of this test. I say again, you know. Well, yeah, it's happened in... It has been, in yeah, they've not. Cer- certainly three of the five tests. But yet again, you know, I went to sleep. Uh, what they about four or five down woke up and Steve Smith had a hundred, so uh, you know. And as soon as Australia, that's got, just bad news all round. Really, well, that's not it? the news you want to wake up to. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as Australia passed three hundred, you pretty much knew that was it because England weren't getting anywhere near that. Well, that's the thing because actually, you know, if you just took that 
day in isolation if the previous four tests hadn't happened. England had a pretty good day on day one. Yes, they won the toss and chase the ball, but they did bowl Australia out. Uh, not an enormous first thing score. Australia didn't go out and get 400, 450, 500. But because of what had happened already in the series, 3-2-6 was just game over, wasn't it? It's was just far, far too many for England's batsmen. So even though Australia in any other series might have felt that they were under the pump a bit, they felt very confident and with justification, as it turned out. I mean, England didn't even get 3-2-6 in their two innings combined. Uh, well, I mean, this test match... The winter's been bad, but it's hard to imagine or it's hard to envisage anything worse than this performance. I don't know really where you can go. I mean, short of being dismissed for less than 100. You know, they did, they did at least make over 150 in both both innings. But just the, the start uh, of both England's innings was so despicable. I mean, Cook's dismissal, second ball of the day to Harris... But, well, I don't know. It just made me laugh. Yeah, I wasn't really sure whether to laugh or cry, <laughs> and I am leaving towards laugh actually at this point. Um, but but that, I mean, the first innings was awful, wasn't it? Cook went second ball. It, it looked. I mean, it, you know, it's a cliche. Every ball looked like being wicket, and for for well, for most of the match, or well, for the whole series, that's probably the case. But certainly for this first part of the uh, of England's innings, you know, Anderson was quick to follow Peterson got out playing quite a poor shot and then Bell uh, Bell was awful but actually remarkably enough the second innings was probably worse it was probably more depressing well it was uh, over much quicker yeah 31.4 overs I mean that is uh, yeah I, hard I don't, to say actually which is worse I mean the, <laughs> the first things England's three remaining kind of gun batsmen their three big beasts Cook, Bell, Peterson uh, contributed 12 between them in the second innings they contributed 29 between them so in that sense the second innings was a lot better uh more than twice as good uh but yeah you're right hard to say which was worse the second innings was over quicker i think in that way was probably more kind of humiliating i mean you know i don't want to be too harsh because later on in the in this discussion presumably we're going to get onto the future and what england do next and you know I, i don't think there should be a wholesale clear out and well, I certainly didn't think that before the fifth test. But what happened in that second innings for England uh, was just so pathetic. As you say, 31.4 overs. I mean, that's worse than when we... I mean, we at school would have been pretty disappointed with that. Yeah, and I mean, it's not hard to identify where it's gone wrong for England on this tour. I mean, it's gone wrong in all three departments, really. Four if you include captaincy, five if you include off-field. But it has <laughs> been the batting that's been the the real root of the problem. All 100 wickets fell in this series, all 100 English wickets. That's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, they were bowled out for less than 200 on six out of 10 occasions, which if my math is accurate, is more than half of the times they were at the crease, they were bowled out for less than 200. Ben Stokes was the only England batsman to average above 30 in the series. No England batsman made 300 runs across the series. And if you contrast that to three years ago, when England were just you know, insatiable in their appetite for runs, Alistair Cook had more than 300 runs by the end of the Brisbane test and no one got that many in five tests this time. Uh, a, uh, a helpful Australian listener by the name of Josh McNally uh, tweeted at us, you might need these stats for the next podcast. We all know how factually accurate you lads like to be. Uh, and he's just given us uh, the, the complete breakdown. Uh, across the series, Australia scored 3,199 runs for the loss of 77 wickets. England scored 2,158 runs 
for a loss of 100 wickets, which means that over the series, Australia win by 23 wickets and 1,041 runs. Uh, which is fairly comprehensive, isn't it? It seems, uh, you know, it seems enough to to call it, uh, you know, call the series quits. I think now and come home. <laughs> I hope they bloody well hope they do. It really doesn't matter what page of stats you open, does it? It's just grim reading, and uh, you might have put together a little composite eleven. <laughs> well, probably we'll took see, you about we'll to probably took you about thirty seconds because <laughs> there won't be an English batsman in there, and the way uh, the way that uh, Australia's bowling attack dismantled England's batting lineup. You know, you'd be hard pressed, even though Broad, yes, Broad took some wickets and Stokes contributed as well and, you know, did pretty well to say only played four tests. Despite that, you wouldn't put, I think, knowing the players get into this composite 11. Well, we'll see, Tone. Well, I'm saying they don't. Well, so, no, well I'm well, saying I'm we'll see. You they don't, Adam. Well, I'm saying that we'll see. Okay, well, we will see, but um, I don't think they will. I mean, people have been chucking around words like spineless, words like cowardly. You know, is that fair? Do they. Do they is it the case that they didn't have the stomach for the fight here or or were they just outclassed? Was it just the case that they weren't good enough? That as a team, they aren't good enough? It's it's harsh to say spineless and cowardly. And earlier in the series when David Warner uh, came out with the, the guff about trot, you know, we said, he, a lot of people said, well, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be calling people that. I no, I was know. quite angry about yeah, that. Yeah, you were quite angry. But now you're, you know, you're angry enough to... No, no, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't given my opinion. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> right. I'm I mean, asking you questions. I don't think they're the right words. Uh, <sighs> Spineless probably is an accurate word. I, I think if you take spineless, I don't think cowardly is the right word. And if you take spineless to mean that they were afraid, I don't think that's accurate. I mean, I think they were rattled by the pace of Mitchell Johnson. I think certainly, I think that the English lower order didn't want to face him, and understandably so, because if you're Jimmy Anderson, you know he's not much better a batsman than you know a lot of club batsmen and. I don't think there's too many club batsmen that would want to face Mitchell Johnson and I would be scared. So yeah, I yeah, I think that's fair enough to say. But in terms of England's top order, I don't think they were kind of physically afraid of Mitchell Johnson. But if you take spineless in a slightly different sense that they just weren't up for it, I think it's more the case that England just weren't up for this. Whether they were complacent coming into it, whether they were uh, emotionally and mentally jaded, weary, they didn't really want to play this series. I think that's probably more the case and I think that after Brisbane and particularly Adelaide they knew it was gone and they couldn't really be bothered so if you say they didn't have the stomach for the fight and that they were scared I don't think that's right but they didn't have the stomach for the fight and that they just didn't they weren't up for it shameful maybe possibly Might yeah I mean it's not really acceptable from test match cricketers you know particularly the senior players you know they I think they, they'd had enough they didn't want to be there and that isn't that isn't acceptable but I think it is the case and, that, and that's the thing, because England, you know, before the start of this series, probably eight of England's starting 11 in, in Brisbane are what you'd describe as senior players. And that's not the case anymore, because Trot's gone and Swan's gone and Pryor's gone. But they were senior guys, and yet they just didn't turn up. There's it, it, no shortage of experience in this team. Uh, and of those senior guys that started the series, as I say, Trot, Pryor and Swan didn't finish it. And the rest, Cook, Anderson, Peterson, Bell, were all pretty appalling. You know, the one exception, I guess, is Stuart Broad, who took 21 wickets at an average of 28. And that was a great effort. And you know, he's probably the only one, well, he's definitely the only one of England's extensive core of senior players to have enhanced his reputation on this trip. And actually, if you go down the list, I mean, Ian Bell was awful. This has possibly gone slightly under the radar, but he only averaged 26. No, I don't think that went under the radar. 
Well, it has in terms of the 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 bulk of the criticism has been at Cook and has been at Peterson. Well, Peterson's born, yeah, yeah, particularly Peterson. Whereas, I mean, Bell has got an awful lot of credit in the bank because of what he did in the summer. But if you just take this series in isolation, he's been deeply unimpressive. And actually, I guess that's probably the major difference between these two Ashes campaigns. In the summer, England's batting was fairly dire as well, but Bell kept bailing them out, and he didn't do that this time, and they lost as a result. I mean, the temptation is, therefore, to make sweeping changes, and numerous commentators have been calling for that. What do you reckon? Well... As the UK's leading uh, cricket pundit, what do you reckon? What do you reckon? Uh, You know, what's particularly disappointing or particularly kind of galling about this defeat really you know Australia aren't even the best side in the world there was less certainly less shame in, in getting whitewashed by the great or, or certainly what was still one of the great sides you know or still almost the great Australian side if you like. a, a great side I'll, oh, I'll yeah. let you say a great side in a 2006 you mean yeah uh, but I mean you know I think England have made this Australian side look good yeah it's kind of hard to say you know time will tell as to kind of what this this Australian team can achieve uh but you know south africa really are, are, you know are the the team that the england are, should be competing with and if they can't compete with this australian side well and they didn't really compete with the south african team did they a couple of years well, ago well they got closer they got a lot closer than they did well, than this than, than this yeah uh but yeah very disappointing it's hard to put a team together now i don't I, I don't know i mean you know england will be pretty good against sri lanka you'd imagine england will be favorites to win that series Kind of whoever they, you know, if Jimmy Anderson's bowling in that series, he's he's going to be bowling a lot better, you'd imagine, but because of the home conditions. Yeah, I mean that is possibly something. I don't want to say it's an, it's a mitigating factor, the fact that they were away from home because they came to Australia and won three years ago. But it does seem at the moment, like with the exception of South Africa, all the teams in Test cricket are very strong at home and not very good on the road. In fact, in 2013, if you exclude neutral venues, i.e. the UAE. If you exclude neutral venues, there were only two test matches won by an away team in the whole year, one of which was uh, Zimbabwe and Bangladesh, and the other of which was Pakistan and Zimbabwe. And aside from that, no one won away from home. So It's a waste of time, isn't it? So, so <laughs> at the moment, it does seem like all the teams are very comfortable in their own conditions, not so comfortable outside of them. So maybe that's, that is at least part of what's going on here. But it should have been closer, yeah, know, you, even, you, even yeah, if Australia it's the, it's had the, an advantage. It's the margin of the defeat, isn't it? That's what's so alarming. So, yes, there, there is a huge part of me that thinks, well, there's got to be changes because how can they just continue with these guys? But the question that needs to be asked is whether there are any young players out there or any other players out there who would do any better if they were picked, who would have done any better in this series. I mean, to an extent, they already have made big changes. The team in Sydney contained Balance, Bairstow, Borthwick... Stokes and Rankin, none of whom started the series, all of whom were talked up as being guys who might come in and make a big difference. And with the exception of Stokes, what's actually happened is they've come in and found life at least as tough, if not tougher, than the players that they've replaced. So as much as England's senior players have been well below their best, you know, Kevin Peterson's been well below his best, you can make a very convincing argument that he should therefore be dropped. But do we really expect someone like James Taylor to come in and do better. Would James Taylor have handled Mitchell Johnson better than Kevin Peterson has done? I don't know. Well, I don't, yeah, You can make all the changes you like, but at the end of the day, if Johnson and Harris and Siddle bowl like they bowled in this series, is it going to make any difference? Yeah, I don't know is the, the simple answer, probably, isn't it? But uh, the key, really, for the, the England setup is to find out why these kind of experienced and talented players aren't, aren't performing. Uh, there's got to be a reason. 
So. Which is what sort of makes you think about the coaching staff, isn't it? Because these are the same players. The spine of the team is the same that took them to number one in the world. It's not like they've all suddenly got a lot older. I mean, they have got older, but they're not, you know, none of them are over the hill, apart from Swan, who's now gone. Well, surely you could argue the same thing if you're from the coach's perspective. You know, it's the, it's the same coach who took us to... Well, absolutely. But, all the good ideas but and the players responded though, yeah. to. It's slightly yeah. different because the with a coach, it's more about, yeah, as you say, the, the players responding to it. Do they stop responding when they're just hearing the same thing, when there are the same methods being used all the time? Clearly Stokes has come out of this looking quite good. But even uh, that, I mean, he got he got 100 and it was a fantastic 100 and he's played a, a couple of other eye-catching cameos. And he took wickets as well. I mean, He it, did take wickets. I mean, yeah, he's he has come out looking very good, but I think it's kind of, it's, you know, when you're... I'm trying to think of a good analogy here. Like if you're on a sinking ship and you see something <laughs> moderately good. Does that work as an analogy? Well, yeah, I know. But- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Given that he came into a side that had already been absolutely humiliated... And it was continued to be humiliated, and with senior players falling all around all around him, I think it's faintly impressive, at least, to to have carried on, you know, uh, putting in performances. Likewise, well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I'm just wary of falling into what I would describe as the Usman Kawaja trap, <laughs> right, yeah. where where you know, three years ago, Australia were getting hammered, and Kawaja went out and scored 35 or whatever, and they're like, right, here we go, we found a new player. And, yeah, well, yeah, it's, a, it's better than that. He, he, yeah, he, he got took 14 wickets as well, or 15 wickets. He got wickets, he got a, a good 100, and he has looked very impressive, and he looks at home at this level. But like, then yeah. it, it, Joe Root came in and was fantastic and then has fallen away. So I, I'm, I'm wary of talking him up in the way that people have been talking him up as well. He's I don't think you could talk nailed about, on for the next 10 years. You'd of. say he's nailed on for the next test, though, at least. <laughs> I you? Say next 10 years. <laughs> uh, I mean, likewise, tough on balance. Uh, but again, this is the Kawaja thing because he got again, eighteen, and people yeah. were like, "Well, he looks no, no, he not, looks comfortable." Not at saying this level. He's, he's he's looked good, but it, you know, I don't think you can make a judgment on this one no, test. I think he yeah. needs another chance. I mean, Bairstow, probably the other way. I think now needs to you know be overlooked for at least a couple of years. Has had too many chances now, yeah. uh, which, is, which is, I don't know. You know, for, for whatever reason, he's not there. But there are other players who who are, you know have been equally poor at the start of their careers and gone on to be decent at least. So, well, Matt yeah. Pryor being a good yeah. example. Ian Bell maybe as well you could say but I, yeah yeah, I think Best though is for the chop it's, uh, it's, it's really tough it's going to be you know I think uh, Bumble was talking up Sky's coverage of the uh, of county cricket at the end of this test as being the positive he's like oh, it's good for us because <laughs> everyone's going to be watching county cricket for the first month and once it get underway at the end of April yeah. or the start of April yeah and there's and eight there's championship matches before, before the, first the first test yeah. of the summer so I mean uh, in a way yeah, that will be interesting it'll be interesting to see who puts their hand up 
possibly one of the big problems is that the England team has been a bit of a closed shop. But maybe for those senior players, they have felt very comfortable. It doesn't matter how often they fail, they will continue getting picked. And unless you give some of these guys a chance, you're not going to know whether they're capable of, of cutting it. So I don't want to say, well, you've got to pick Peterson because he's done it in the past and no one's going to come in and do better. And that's it. And just, you know, kind of Peterson's nailed on for, you know, however long he wants to play. But I don't think you can ignore how good he's been in the past. It is very tough to think that there's anyone out there at this point who would have done better or will do better going forward. Yeah, he's got to stay in the team, and but just they've got to find a way of getting the best out of him again. And I think the bottom line is that Australia's bowling attack has just been fantastic all series. I mean, in the aftermath of the result, Clark and Siddle both described it as the best in the world. Are they correct? I mean, South Africa might have a thing or two to say about that, but on the evidence that you've seen oh, here... Yeah. In terms, of, they, this, in terms of a performance in a series, yeah, there can't be many, many better performances. Whether they're better all round than the South African attack, you'd probably say they aren't because they haven't done it as consistently as South Africa have done it. Uh, I mean, clearly what, what Mitchell Johnson's done in the series is pretty remarkable in a way. Uh, is it 37 wickets? Yeah, 37 wickets, exactly. You know, didn't go for many runs either. Uh, and, you know, we said before that the series, it could go either way, and it, it went spectacularly the right way for him. <laughs> One way, uh, yeah. I mean, amazing. And, you know, Johnson is the type of bowler that, because of the way he kind of hustles in in his action, you know, if he finds that rhythm, uh, which he has done in the past, and it's coming down well over 90, then, you know, it's going to be tough to face. So, I mean, Johnson in this series was virtually unplayable, you'd say. Uh, it will be extremely interesting going forward if he maintains that form to see how all the other Test nations, particularly South Africa, who he's coming up against in just over a month's time, how they get on against him. Because if it could be that, you know, England have just found themselves in the way of, you know, an extraordinary bowler all of a sudden. And it, so it will be extremely interesting to see how the likes of Smith and Amla uh, and de Villiers deal with Johnson. And the others, I mean, as a unit, they've been sensational. Harris, Siddle, and also Lyon, and also Watson. I mean, Michael Atherton said this, and he's right. Not only have there been no bad spells, there have not really been any bad overs, and there have barely been any bad balls in five test matches. Just no let-up of pressure whatsoever. And to that extent, yeah, I think this performance ranks as one of the most impressive I've ever, I've ever seen from a bowling unit. I mean, Ryan Harris taking 22 wickets at 19 would be more than enough for him to win the Man of the Series award in almost any other Ashes. He's been fantastic, and yeah, they've, just, they've all been fantastic. I mean, I think I'd still, if we are comparing the bowling attacks around the world, I'd still just about rather have South Africa's, if pushed, because, as you say, they've done it more consistently over a longer period of time. But it's it's pretty close, I think. And there are actually some similarities. I mean, Stain and Johnson, you could maybe see as the strike bowlers. Harris and Philander bowl line and length and move it off the straight. If you were to compare man for man, I'd pr I would take Stain over Johnson, I'd take Philander over Harris, and I'd take Morkel over Siddle. That's just comparing the, the three in their kind of positions. But uh, from the six, if I was to pick three, uh, it would probably be Stain, Philander and Johnson with Harris as first reserve. So they're all very good is what I'm trying to say. I guess uh, where Australia do maybe have the edge now is, is in the spin department. Um, they've certainly got the edge on England, uh, which is such a turnaround. That, that used to be... The one area where England were vastly superior was they had Graham Swan and Australia had nobody. Uh, but now Australia have got Nathan Lyon and England have got nobody. And Lyon was extremely underrated for a long time, I thought. 
Ashton Ager was picked ahead of him at the start of the England series, and that's a ridiculous decision in hindsight. Well, I thought it was at the time, but I think everyone would agree in hindsight that it was. So he was very underrated. He's not underrated anymore. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's not a long time ago, though, that we and many people would have said that England, I think we said an embarrassment of riches in terms of the bowling department. You know, a fantastic attack, Anderson, Broad, Swan, three fine bowlers, Finn, Bresden, Onions. You know, it was like, where do we go? Well, who do we pick? And, you know, a few months later, it's like, who do we, who stays? I mean, it's, it's difficult to make excuses. Australia, you know, in terms of Australia's batting, you know, we mentioned it earlier in terms of their first innings, often they were in a bit of trouble. Adelaide, clearly they weren't in much trouble. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of their runs came in second innings, particularly the top order, where they did make centuries. It was, it was often in the second innings, wasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, the big kind of differentiators were Warner's runs at the top of the order, fast and many. Well, in the second innings, particularly, generally, yeah. You know, the game was gone, but, you know, it was taken away in a flash. Uh, and then it clearly had it in Smith. Uh, at the tail and contributions from Harrison and Johnson. It, it was a frustrating, I mean, clearly an exceptionally frustrating <laughs> series to watch from an England fan's perspective. Yeah, they, they hung in there, the batsmen, didn't they? Ground out the runs that were required. And it, it is odd because very few of those batsmen actually have um, impressive looking averages, aside from Warner and Haddon. Even Smith, who scored two centuries in the series, even Rogers, they're not absolutely flying in terms of averages or, or number of runs scored. But they played extremely important innings, and and, and that that has been important. <laughs> um, I mean, it just, in general, though, Australia did just seem like a, a happy side, a confident side, and that's an emphatic turnaround from the position that they were in at the start of the English summer. Can we put all of that down to Darren Lehman? Has he been the difference? Put quite a lot of it down to him, I guess. Uh, yeah, I agree. They did look very confident, but then things did start to go their way very early. So. Uh, yeah, in momentum, that was an awful delivery, but in momentum terms, the kind of the ball got rolling and then was unstoppable. Never stopped. Uh, but it, I mean, it, crazy when you think back to that first morning, though, uh, you know, when Broad was clipping out Aussie batsmen, the England team looked well up for it. And I mean, Broad was, couldn't have been more fired up. Obviously, there was a lot of personal jibes against him in the build up, so the motivation was probably there for him. But, but it all started to go wrong from, from very early on. I mean, yeah, as you say, it's it's very easy to look confident when you're winning. It's that the, the, the famous, what you might call a sort of egg and chicken situation. Do you win because you're confident or are you confident because you're winning? Difficult to say. Uh, but yeah, there's no doubt that Lehman has had a uh, dramatic effect. And when he was appointed, you know, we we talked about it, didn't we? And we had our doubts. We, we thought it was a bit of a gamble. And it was a gamble, but it, it has paid off pretty decisively, you'd have to say. Where do England go from here? Andy Flower has now committed himself to staying on as coach. It seems like the ECB want him to stay as well. Last week, we both, I think... Well, no, did you want Flower to stay? I, I wanted Flower to go, to be replaced. I, I want Flower to stay okay. at the moment. By no means is that, like, kind of, you know, that's only marginally, if I kind of weighed up the evidence, would I think that. I, you know, I do really like Andy Flower, and he, yeah, he's, he has done a really good job, and I know that can, you know, it, it could have run out at this point. Uh, but I think he has to be given at least the summer. I don't, I, I don't know. If things aren't looking up in the summer, then yeah, maybe maybe he goes then. Well, yes. But if yeah, if you do but, get rid of him, then you know where do England start in the summer? You know, new new coach comes in. But that seems like a good moment for renewal, doesn't it? I mean, you'd presumably have to give him the whole summer, Sri Lanka and India. And if it's still going spectacularly badly, there are no more Test matches until they tour the Caribbean, and then there's only what three there before. 
the Ashes again, so there's not much time for a new guy to I come have in. a whole I mean, winter to th- kind of this is, think about it. This would be the moment, I think, uh, to make a change if you're going to. I mean, I'm not ha- unhappy that Flower is staying because I have enormous respect for him as a man and a coach. And yeah, in a similar way to you say, well, who's better than Peterson? You know, who's better than Flower? Probably no one. But I, I think it, it, it might be time for a, a change in approach. It's more about the other members of the backroom team, I think. Uh, maybe if Flower stays, that's fine as long as there's a new batting coach and a new bowling coach and, and all the rest of it. But it certainly does look like he's going to stay. So uh, it looks very much like Cook is going to stay as well. Now, Jonathan Agnew's column in the aftermath of the game annoyed me uh, because he the, the kind of headline, certainly that the BBC Sport took away from it, disastrous tour shows England are too insular. Uh, and there was a line in it that was, uh, you can look at every aspect of this tour, the attitude of the players, the fact England arrived as favourites, the 82-page menu, and it all paints a picture of a team which has become far too insular. That was illustrated when I put a question to Captain Alistair Cook. I asked whether the opinions of those outside of the team, those who have played cricket all their lives and have watched the game for years, were worth seeking, and he said no. He said essentially it was for those within the team to work out what has gone wrong. That is a real worry to me, and shows there is no real awareness of what is happening outside the team's bubble. What do you make of that, Tone? Well, I mean, the, the, well, I, you know, things spring to mind. For, you know, if you know, if if you're just going to take the opinions of ex-pros, you know, a lot of them, both of them, for example, you know, he wasn't exactly identifying problems in the England team ahead of the series, was he? There's so many things to unpack there, but like, uh, but yeah, I mean, which ex-pros do you listen to for a start? I cracked this gag on Twitter already, but if you get if you get two former cricketers in a room, you'll get three opinions. Uh, and uh, a listener by the name of David Mutton tweeted back to say, if you just get Ian Botham in a room, you'll get three opinions. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's true. And I don't really know what Agnew is expecting. I mean, he's essentially referring to himself and his TMS colleagues there, isn't he? That he thinks that they should be listened to. That's just madness, isn't it? I mean, that of course the England setup aren't listening to outsiders. Of course they're doing things their way that's what they're paid for if they're no longer doing it well enough then the people who pay them might decide that there are other people who could be doing the job but what does Agnew expect that Cook and Flower are going to go around you know the Sky box the BBC box around all the newspaper columnists and canvas their opinions I mean that's just ludicrous if Agnew really wants to and really expects as he seems to to influence the way that the England cricket team is run then he should go and become a coach shouldn't he You'd think so. If you're a commentator, you're commenting on it. That's kind of the clue is in the name. Yeah, and like you know, like you say, you could find someone to to kind of make any argument under the sun. Uh, you know, support one player being in the team, uh, and whilst another person is calling for their head. I don't, yeah, exactly. Who do you select? Well, you select the ex-pro who has nominated himself as a coach by Andy Flower. So yeah, pretty silly all around. It seemed astonishingly arrogant. It it would be as though us two were sitting here. And complaining that Asuka Kanadifa <laughs> weren't actually acting on what you know what we're coming up with here. Of course, we don't expect that to happen. Be nice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah it would be of, great. Yeah, a bit of thanks wouldn't hurt. <laughs> um, so as we round out this Ashes chat, then uh, I'll leave you with a composite eleven. Arguably not the most difficult composite eleven that I've ever had to select. But what I've done is I've looked at the series as a whole, and I've. Uh, I've imagined picking one team made up of uh, Australia and England players. And this is the 11 that I've come up with. An opening combination of Warner and Rogers, Shane Watson at number three, Michael Clark at four, Steve Smith at five, Ben Stokes at number six. 
then Brad Haddon as my wicketkeeper, Nathan Lyon as my spinner, and a pace attack of Siddle, Johnson and Harris. So there are 10 Australians in their turn and one Englishman. Ben Stokes creeps in ahead of George So having Bayer. said that Ben Stokes didn't really impress you that much, he's made it into a composite 11 against a team that won 5-0 in the most convincing fashion possibly in history. Well, I didn't say that he didn't impress me that much. That's not quite what I said. I said that he possibly didn't set the world alight in the way that people are suggesting like kind of in the team of the series kind of way well but who well it's it's him or george bailey isn't it and bailey averaged what 26 in the series didn't really do a lot so yeah <laughs> yeah i'll give you the bailey didn't think yeah didn't set the world alight it's either got, it's got to be stokes there i think so yeah so 10 australians one englishman three years ago it was the other way around only mike hussey made it into my composite 11 so if nothing else illustrates how things have changed Adam's composite 11 surely does. Should we preview the one-day series? What would you want to say about that? The one-day series starts on Sunday. You going to watch it? Almost certainly not <laughs> at this point. And they're complete seed. Preview <laughs> for the one-day series. Much like The Ashes, which has been rumbling on virtually non-stop since early July last year, this episode of The World Cricket Show is finally mercifully, blissfully over. <sighs> We're done, Tone. This is it. The ashes have blown away. That's an image for you. You're a real poet. <laughs> the ashes are billowing away into the, the wind. The ashes have been scattered on some something in Sydney Harbour. It's like, I don't know. It's like having Wordsworth it in is, the studio. It? It, it really is. It's a real honour for you. Now, I know we said at the top of the show that we were going to start our review of the year <laughs> this week, but uh, we're not because uh, that Ashes chat went a bit longer than we anticipated. So what we'll do is just make next week's show an actual full-length review of the year special. But yeah, so that is it, I think. We went bowling last week, Tone. 10-pin bowling. Didn't we? That was fun, wasn't it? You haven't been for ages. I bowl a bit like Mitchell Johnson. In what sense? Very fast. Yeah, you really do, actually. Uh, not quite I don't know who you were trying to impress. Well, I was trying to impress no, anyone. There was about so... seven of us there, and every t- you were like, right, my turn. Like, got up, cracked your neck, picked up a, a ball, <laughs> ran at full time. <laughs> no, I didn't run, no, Wanged it down. Quite a gentle runner. And it went into the gutter, but it came up at like 20 yeah, miles an hour, and you were like... 22 yeah, and okay. well, I don't know what. I don't even know what a fast ball is in bowling, but I was, it just last time I went bowling, the first time for ages, I was really surprised with myself. You know, despite not putting that much effort in, you know, it was still going down at some pace. So you, you know, <laughs> it's, not, it's really not about pace, you wonder what It's about how many pins do you knock down, and in that sense, you perhaps had some room for improvement yeah no, that's not I mean I literally said to you at one point I was like slow it down mate get it on the square and you did and you knocked down a load go. of pins here we go optimum ball speed in bowling and this is from Wikipedia if you've heard of that optimum ball speed which is defined as the time it takes for the ball to travel from one foot past the foul line to the head pin is 2.3 seconds a ball that is rolled too fast will not give the pins enough time to mix with other pins or in other words to knock each other down in a domino effect motion Conversely, a ball rolled too slowly will deflect too much and will not be able to not. But I don't understand that. Surely... Well, it's just explained it to you. Well, no, I understand. I understand what <laughs> it's trying to say, but I don't understand why. You know, if you throw wang a ball down faster, why it doesn't just mix them quicker? Well, it will just blow away the ones that it actually hits, much like Mitchell Johnson blowing away England's lower mm. order. It's all about angles, mate. It's all about maths. What what I've got on uh, bowlingball.com is that the ideal bowling ball speed is about 17 miles per hour. Now, I was hitting around 16.7, 16.8. 
You were up at 23. I was up at about 23. <laughs> yeah. But I might maybe have to just rein myself in next time. But like you'd do it, you'd wang it down, turn around, sniff, <laughs> look, look around, see you've been watching, as if to say, yeah. Yeah. I, just, I did nail a I couple of strikes. I just that at 23 mile an hour. Yeah. Slow it down, mate. Slow it down. What you got lined up for this week, then? Uh, going to that London. Hey. Yeah. What are you doing there? Uh, going to go and just catch up with some friends. Take in some entertainment. Some of your little mates. Yeah, some of my best friends. <laughs> Take in some entertainment. Just generally eat, drink and be merry. Yeah. Just generally eat. It's going to be good. You haven't done enough of that over Christmas. No, sorry. And it's all part of my best laid plans 2014. You said the other day that you were embarking on wet January. Is that sensible? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just... Just dry January is a bit passe now. <laughs> uh, no, I think wet January's got off to a really good start is as it, well. Is it like ironic? You're ironically drinking loads of alcohol just in satirizing. January. Just to pastiche all yeah, the exactly. people. Just, just like satirising most people. <laughs> yeah, that's part of my aim in life, really. Uh, You're a real hero. <laughs> just a contrarian, I think. But yeah, no, wet January's a, a roaring success at the moment. <laughs> and we'll continue, although I will, I, I think, need at least... I might take it easy next weekend. But, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's tough. What's tough? Tough to take it easy because there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people doing stuff. There's a lot of people demanding, demanding your company time. and yeah, demanding exactly. that you be on hilarious form <laughs> like you always are. I'm yeah. not sure that they really are, Tony. This is all no, in your head. I think it might be. Also, you know, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Do you think you can't... You can't have a good time without alcohol. You can't make people laugh without alcohol. So you come in here every week. And you've, got, <laughs> you've got the nation in stitches. You've got the whole world. Yeah, a party without alcohol is a children's party. That's, <laughs> that's, what it's, yeah. that's what it's called. I don't know. Yeah. And don't for know. a children's party, you need a clown. <laughs> that's where what? you come in with your gags that you've written. Yeah. My pre- your face my, paint. My pre-prepared gags. <laughs> your slapstick. No, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I should stop satirising stuff and just kind of get on with life. <laughs> I don't know if that would stand up like in a in a court of law or <laughs> anything like that. If they, if you had to explain why you were drunk and disorderly, <laughs> I'm just satirising. I don't know behavior. what you call it. I, I don't think many people would probably pick up on it as satire. <laughs> it's, like, it's lifestyle satire. It's a parody, <laughs> Your Honour. <laughs> yeah, irony. And it's also in the. It's also the pursuit of good times as well. It's the pursuit of a fleeting moment of uh, enjoyment. Yeah. Sad. There we go. Well, sad case. Yeah, what a sad sack that Tony Kerr is. <laughs> to escape the misery of the ashes somehow, mate. Look the, at you. These microphones aren't actually plugged in. I'm, uh, this is a, This is what I would describe as an intervention. A one-man right, intervention. Pull them out. Uh, but yeah. No. January. January shaping up nicely. That still could go on all night. <laughs> About January. Yeah. Well, perhaps we should uh, draw a line under this. Uh, yeah, if you like the show, get more involved in it on the internet. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show. Follow us on Twitter at cricket show. Tony is at Tony Cover. That's his brand. That's where I occasionally just retweet things. T O N Y C V double R. You can send us an email uh, if you'd like a chat, a bit of a longer chat. That's worldcricketshow at gmail.com. You can find all of this stuff on our website, which is cricket show. Dot net. We're possibly going to have T-shirts coming soon, a new bevy of T-shirts to choose from. So keep your eyes on that. Uh, and if you've got a spare five minutes, 
or less than that, two minutes. I, I, I said five minutes. That makes it sound like a, a bigger thing yeah. than sounds it like needs an to assignment. be. Yeah, sounds like homework. If you've got a spare thirty seconds this week, uh, why not write a review for us on iTunes? We do really appreciate all of those. It helps us to attract new listeners and things of that nature. But that's it then. I, I've said that five or six times now, so we should probably go. Stay in school, everybody. Enjoy your first week back at school. Enjoy after the January Christmas holidays. Enjoy the second week of January. Enjoy wet January. You know, the build-up to the big day is the point, you know, it's, it's started. Which it's big begun. day? begun. Valentine's? 30th of January. <laughs> 31st of January. We've got Blue Monday to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> is that, no, when's that? Is that next Monday? Uh, I think it's, or is it the what is it, like the 21st or something? Shall I Google it? That is... Blue Monday, 2014. Oh, wait, we may have passed it. No. Oh, okay. Well, according to Wikipedia, have you heard of Wikipedia? I don't know how they work this out, but apparently last year, Blue Monday was the 21st of January. But this year, for some reason, uh, it was the 6th of January. I don't know Yeah, why. that doesn't make that much doesn't really sense. Make much it doesn't make much sense. Because isn't it it's supposed to be further away from Christmas than that? Because the 6th, 6th of January, January. You know, that's the 12th was, day of Christmas. When was that? Still. Was that yesterday? Yeah. How was that? So you got through it. I didn't eat yesterday. I had a fast. What did I do last night? I was- I wasn't particularly unhappy yesterday, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Not especially. No, no more unhappy than you usually are. You're a regular Charlie Brown over there, <laughs> so just walking around with your head bowed. I think I was just knackered from the weekend yesterday. Oh, well, that's it then. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> Bye for now. Can smell your fear. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.